Welcome to the Movie Planet. This week we're talking about 2000's Castaway. With Joe. And JC. Wilson, where are you? Wilson! And Joel. I love I'm your host, Joe, and with me, with me are the Wilson and Chuck Nolan to my big-ass wave, Joel and JC. Gentlemen, it's been two weeks. How you been? Am yeah. I allowed to say your ass looks good in those pants? Or, you, or you, because it's big, if I just insulted no, you? No, no, no. No, no, no. You can say that perfectly fine. because right, your, I, a, your ass looks good in those it's pants, It's not off man. my ass. It's complimented. There you go. Yes. Dibs nice. on Wilson. Dib, I have lost dib, weight. Dibs on Wilson. There. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to have a big ass? Well, I don't have one at all. Because <laughs> you're a fucking pencil. No, but pencil. No. We could call him pencil. We're talking about butts. Your asses. Where'd you go <laughs> on this one? Well, it's not Pen- any personal. I was, th- I was thinking pencils, and then like insults that no. deal with pencils. Because <laughs> pencil even when was all the game. <laughs> but even when I played football, when I hit three twenty, I still had no ass. It went straight from the bottom of my back to my thighs. It's a little he, diagonal. He's talking and he's shape. making hand motions like I know what the hell he's talking about. I don't know what. You, how else do you shit if you don't have an ass? I mean, it was there, but it wasn't. See, even Tommy Boy doesn't know what the fuck you're talking about. Two, four, niner, five. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, once again, we've gone with the theme of Joel makes a comment and we create a name for him. <laughs> Pencil dick's happy to be here. <laughs> Uh, hey, PD, not, we can call him PD. You, you <laughs> can call him that. Uh, uh, so here we go, going to a uh, an island far, far away. Oh. You gotta love crab. The nick of time, too. Don't take much more of those coconuts. Coconut milk's a natural laxative. Things Gilligan never told us. Oh. Made fire. Oh, Wilson. So, Wilson, we were en route from Memphis for 11 and a half hours, about 475 miles an hour. So, they think that we are right here. Radio contact, then flew around that storm for about an hour. So that's a distance of what, 400 miles? 400 miles squared, that's 160,000 times pi, 3.1, it's a search area of 500,000 square miles. 
twice the size of Texas. They may never find us. This week, we are discussing the 2000 movie Castaway, directed by Robert Zemeckis and starring Tom Hanks as Chuck Nolan, Helen Hunt as Kelly Frears, and a volleyball named Wilson. They couldn't get Spalding. Uh, yeah. Well, that was his dentist, right? That's true. Double farts. <laughs> <laughs> a little trivia to start us off about this film, and literally a little trivia. There's only like three things I could find about this that was actually interesting. This movie was made for about $90 million and brought in $429 million worldwide. Well no. done for nice. a drama. <laughs> yeah. The film shooting was beha- between the years 1998 and 2000, but was not shot consecutively. Hanks gained 50 pounds during pre-production to make him look like a pudgy middle-aged man, and after a majority of the film was shot, production was halted for a year so that he could lose the weight and grow his hair and beard to look like he had been living on the island for years. During the year-long hiatus, Zemeckis used the same film crew to make another film, What Lies Beneath, which, if you've seen that movie, you realize, yep, I understand why they only spent a year on this one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting, though. And finally, the one I thought was most interesting was that FedEx paid no money for product placement in this. They're just like, you got it. Good job, Fred Smith. <laughs> there yeah. you go. He's good people. And th- th- trust me, their their logo feces is all over this thing. <laughs> their what? Their logo feces. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, JC, this is a movie that you nominated. Yep. You want to take us through all of this? So, uh, we'll start off with what's your history with the movie? Do you remember the first time you saw this, Joel? I do. I don't remember specifically the first time I saw it, but I do remember having a family friend. And them saying, have you seen Castaway yet? And I was fairly young. I mean, if it came out in 2000, I was 9, 10. Mm-hmm. And so I hadn't seen it yet because I was a rule follower and I wasn't PG-13 yet. Um, <laughs> but I do remember everyone being fixated on the Wilson aspect and that dynamic of, like, his loneliness. And mm-hmm. so I was like, yeah, I might be interested in seeing this guy become friends with the volleyball. Um, but I think that this was... <laughs> Do y'all remember Blockbuster's Movie Pass? Yes. Yeah, oh, two movies. Ex- keep them as long as you want. Exchange whenever. That was their way to battle Netflix, wasn't it? When it first Th- came out, was it? I think so. I didn't realize Netflix was around yet. But we we had that in the Game Pass when we were younger during the summers, and me and my brother wrecked some Blockbuster. And so I <laughs> believe this was one of those. Hey, I haven't seen Castaway. Went just picked it up. Went back home, and I mean, I enjoyed it. I've always liked this movie. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah. Uh, for me, I don't remember the last time I first saw this movie. I have no idea. I don't remember the last time I first saw this movie. I, yeah, it didn't make any sense. I don't remember <laughs> the first time I saw this movie. Uh, I know this. It was. I know it was in the theaters because I didn't like the fact that it was coming out like six months after Survivor, and I was like, all they're doing is banking on that whole island thing. Oh, I didn't okay. That would have been some interesting trivia. Yeah. That being said, I knew little about movies at that point, and a movie can't just be made in like four or five months. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know that they had been doing this like two years before Survivor even came out. Yeah. Um, it's a movie that I always liked, and it was one of those films that if it was on TV, I was always drawn to. I bought this movie only though the other, like maybe this year. It was five ninety nine at Target, and I was like, five ninety nine Blu ray, Castaway. I bought like three or four movies. I was like, I'll take this one, this one, and oh, Castaway. I'll take that one. There you go. And you know, it's now it's on the shelf now. So I figured it was too good of a deal to pass up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. JC, the first time I saw this movie, it was a Christmas present. My mom uh, did a really good thing where all of us kids would each get one or two movies a year for Christmas, and. When we first got a DVD player, I remember the very, very first movie I ever got. It was The General's Daughter. So that was like the very first DVD I ever owned. That next year, I got Castaway. Okay. I remember getting Castaway, and I remember looking at it, and 
Uh, my mom knew I liked Tom Hanks, and my mom liked Tom Hanks herself, so Who we watched it. Who doesn't love Tom Hanks? Exactly. And so I remember watching the movie with my f- with the family, and it was uh, one of those movies where the movie itself is quiet, the movie itself is silent, and my family was silent. Like, my father always talks through movies. I love you, oh. Dad. I love you so much. But f- don't talk. Except I'm a hypocrite because I always have to turn to Joe and say, did you see that? Did you see that? Did you find that funny? Did you laugh at that? So I get it honestly, Dad. No it's comment. Your, it's, it's your fault. <laughs> oh, well, I like that. But uh, but this is a movie where I, I don't do that. I don't turn and I don't watch people. I don't watch their reactions. I just watch it for me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but it's a movie because I, when I just watched it recently, I didn't realize how much silence there is. Like yeah. There are huge gaps in this movie where you're watching him and there is no sound, just not even uh, music. It's just like you hear an occasional wave. Right. Or you, you don't hear, hear any the, animals, no insects, nothing. And it's just silence. Yeah. Um, but what made me fall in love with this movie from the beginning and I annoyed my mother to no end mm-hmm. was the song. The what? The theme song. The Castaway theme song. And I actually I actually have it on my phone. I have it in my car. I listen to it. It is actually the third or fourth most played song in my iTunes playlist. I shit you not. Okay. Huh. There is something about the Castaway main theme that I would I would the the scene where Wilson goes off and it just plays that theme over, I would literally just hit rewind or the the, ba- the back skip, and I would just watch that scene over and over. Drove my mother nuts. But that's what I remember the first time watching this movie. Is it? That's not that's, the one. That's a horrible rendition. It's hard for me to know because I don't... Here, I have This it. is not to say that I don't like the soundtrack. It's just I don't remember the song because, for me, it didn't speak to me. But yeah. we've talked about that with musicals. And we've, yeah, if we've music, gone with the musicals, if, if music, music doesn't speak to you, you're not going to remember it. No. That's true. Yeah, so. Um, but, yeah, I do have it. Let me look for it. I always do get excited when I hear that music in a movie is, like, getting somebody hyped up because and, it means and that, that the director is. made a right choice at, at, with that. So what, what movie has music that gets you jazzed? <laughs> Anything that John Williams. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's not go with the obvious. Nothing John Williams. Uh, anything by Michael Giacchino? Danny, Star, the, the Star Trek theme. Say Danny Elfman. Uh, Danny. When I hear Danny Elfman, I get a little excited. Home Alone. Yeah. Well, no, that was John I, Williams. No, he had Home Alone too, right? Did they split it? I don't know. Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman has such a unique style. It's it's really cool. It's, if if he didn't have the name of a total goober, then I think a lot of people would take Danny Elfman more seriously. I think a lot of people do. I think I just think he picks his projects because he knows what his work sounds like. He's and good. if you, I mean, we think of Danny Elfman, we think of Tim Burton immediately. Like every Tim Burton movie must have a Danny Elfman soundtrack. But Men in Black was uh, Dan, uh, was Danny Elfman, and that wasn't Burton. I it every time I hear Danny Elfman, I think of the Family Guy thing when they're when uh, it's some one of their flashbacks, and John Williams gets like swept away or something. He's like, oh, don't worry, we got Danny Elfman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, JC, how about a synopsis of this movie? Go for it. In December 1995, Chuck Noland is a time-obsessed systems engineer who travels worldwide resolving productivity problems at FedEx depots. He is in a long-term relationship with Kelly Frears, with whom he lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Woo-woo! Although the couple wants to get married, Chuck's busy schedule interferes with their relationship time and time again. 
A Christmas with relatives is interrupted when Chuck is summoned to resolve a problem in Malaysia. While flying through a violent storm, his plane crashes into the Pacific Ocean. Chuck escapes the sinking plane and is saved by an inflatable life raft, but loses the emergency locator transmitter. He clings to the life raft, loses consciousness, and floats all night before being washed up on an island. After he awakens, he explores the island and soon discovers that it is uninhabited. Does anybody want to say anything about like the crash, that scene, the whole night? And yeah, I I think that of all the movies I've seen, they have to do with the ocean. The scene where he's in the raft, lightning, the way he's going on the swells is one of the most magnificent uh, depictions of what it would be like on that raft. In that you can't see what's going on around you. But when the lightning flashes, you see where he is on certain waves. And you're like, Jesus, that'd be scary as hell. That would be so frightening. And to this day, when I watch that scene, it is my favorite scene in the whole movie. Because I just go, that is so well shot, it, you feel that you are there. I completely agree with everything you say. Except it wasn't until, because I remember watching that and being like, that's exactly how I would feel. That's exactly how terrified I would be. For some reason, watching it now as an adult, the exploding engine. Mm-hmm. That he should have died. That wouldn't have happened. Well, he also, if that, when that happened, he should have died. He was close enough to it. That too, yeah. but the fuselage split. Mm-hmm. That means there was no electricity going to that engine. Right. That engine should have never been spinning in the first place. Mm-hmm. And then for it to randomly explode. So that bothered me. But again, it was intense. Like you felt, and I love the water. Yeah. But when I watch sinking ships, like I, I love the idea of getting into scuba gear and like exploring a, a sunken ship or a sunken galley or something like that. That, mm-hmm. that really intrigues me. But the actual physical act of being around a a sinking and knowing how powerful that suction is, like, he should have been pulled down, but because of how heavy a life raft is, and had he not, like, the whole scene, he has his arm tucked into the cables and the ropes and things like that, and that is, it's like these little things that they did really well in the movie, because had he not done any of these little things that he did, had he not reached for the watch... Had he not grabbed a hold of that rope, he would have died. Mm-hmm. And all of those little things are what caused him to live, and th- and that was really cool. The only other thing, and I'll talk about, well, I'll talk about it later. But there's one other thing about that scene that I don't like. But yes, the it- f- the feels that you get, like the emotions you get. Yeah, I mean, hell, I'm gonna say that ad nauseum. The emotions, I I felt every emotion. Tom Hanks, because he acted it so well. I felt everything he was feeling. Yeah, I sat back and I when I, I the plane crash and everything. First of all, notice that we're all talking about the plane crash. We're not talking about the story beforehand. No, yeah, because that was it's it, it's at the beginning you see him as a FedEx manager, and you know, he does a speech about time. And I love that speech, but I can't remember it at all. No. Uh, just you, we're always going against time, basically. That's it. Time, time, time. And I don't know. It, you see him as one. It's almost like I'm watching two movies. I'm watching a movie of a man's life before the island. And then we get on the island. And it's like everything that happened before then, it's about survival now. Yes. So it's two separate movies, I think. Yeah. And the plane crash is the catalyst that takes us to the place that we want to go in this movie and gets us out of the place that we didn't want to be. I agree. So, Joel, Joel how about you? What did you think of the plane crash and the water scene? You know, I didn't... 
and I'm going to kind of connect your question with what Joe just said. Like, he doesn't remember much of the beginning of the movie. And so I'm trying to ask myself, was I... Was it that it wasn't really presented in a way that it's memorable? I remember, the, Ru- I remember that, the Russian choir. Yeah, I, I didn't even <laughs> remember Russia, but I think I realized I hadn't seen this movie since I was 15 years old. Yeah. And so there was a lot I didn't remember about this. But what I'm curious about is, was it just not a memorable beginning? Or is the idea of getting stranded on an island and wanting to see if and how he survives, is that so like heavy and that's the whole reason we're there? That we just overlook everything at the beginning because that's, that's what I did a this good time. Good point. That's yeah, what I did this time. You, you want to get to what you know the movie's about, right? And like I t- turn on subtitles and I, because I feel like I gain the movie a little bit more if I'm reading along with it. But I mean, even even when you're reading this, I didn't. I thought that he was married in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and so I didn't think I was like, oh, I guess I didn't pay much attention to their dynamic yeah, I just he, said, the last gift he gives her is the ring he goes we don't open this until after new year's yeah yeah and oh see, you never find out what happened to that ring do you not no my guess is that it was put in his coffin oh that's a good call they do talk about what people put in but yeah, yeah. maybe she they put, don't address it but they I don't see that being something that she put in there and that that's nice if like that would be a good way to handle that yeah yeah but i don't know it's so even with the crash i watched it I saw it crash, but I was my mind was already on island. And that's a th- I think that's you know we look at the chemistry between Hanks and Hunt, and it is good. You believe that they are a couple. Yeah. That they have a routine whenever he goes out of town. Like sit down, get the planners out. Okay, when are you here? Be here, be here, be here. Okay, we got it all planned out, and then we roll. But you made a good point, which is that we're all waiting to get to the island, and when we get to the island, you know he's there for four years. After a while, we're kind of sitting there going, okay, it's about survival. Right. And the movie, I think, forgets where it's supposed to go. Like, it's a love story at the beginning. And then it's a survival story. And then it reminds you at the very end, oh, by the way, it's a love story. And it's like, well, you could have. Did you need that? Because it's cat. We came to watch the island. But is that the movie? That's what we came to watch for. Was that the movie they wanted to tell? Well, that's the thing. Because I, I don't think they knew the direction that they wanted to go in some of the parts of this movie. But no, I think they do. And, well, we'll get into that later. Well, yeah. I, I think they yeah. do. I think they do. Well, know we'll have the different movie. opinions on that one, but yeah. yeah. Okay, so keep us going. S- several FedEx packages from the crashed plane wash up on the shore, as well as the corpse of one of the pilots, which he buries. He initially tries to signal for rescue and makes an escape attempt with the remnants of, of his life raft but cannot pass the powerful surf and the coral reefs surrounding the island. He searches for food, water, and shelter, and opens the packages, finding a number of potentially useful items, netting from a dress to use as a fishnet, uh, skates that he will turn into axes, and uh, cassette tapes that he ends up using as rope and binding. He leaves one package with a pair of angel wings stenciled on it, unopened. And I, the first time I watched that, I remember thinking like, why? They and, and I never got... I The first time I watched it, he just didn't open it. I never figured out the symbol. I, I mean, I did later. Yeah. Um, but the first time I watched it, I'm like, why did he never... That bugged me the very first time well, I watched this was, why did he never open that package? I remember when he was promoting this movie, Saturday Night Live, they, they, he was on host for it. And one of the things they did was him delivering that final package. And she opens it up and it's a, it's a satellite phone. Yeah. I, <laughs> but I, but I, I've, heur- I've heard that joke. Yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> and he's like, wait, what? <laughs> 
During a first attempt to make fire, Chuck receives a deep wound in his hand, and this is after he's already received a opening leg gash from knocking into a rock in his attempt to get over the breakers. In anger and pain from both of his wounds, he throws several objects, including a Wilson volleyball from one of his FedEx packages. A short time later, he notices that his bloody hand has created what looks like the head and hair. And so he draws a face within the bloody handprint on the ball, names it Wilson, and he begins talking to it. Now, though this seems crazy, it actually ended up working for him. One night, Chuck calculates that in order for the rescue workers to find the site of the plane crash, they will have to search an area twice the size of Texas, making him doubtful he will ever be found. Okay. I love the fact that he shows up on the island not a blank slate. He has injuries. He's got tooth issue that he's been dealing with beforehand. Yeah. And then he gets his hand cut, trying to make fire. And he, that leg wound just... He like, eventually oh. gets his his leg par- like slammed with Pier- coral. Yeah. And But then I, then I go, okay, he's had all these injuries. Nothing's getting infected? Salt water. It is amazing what the ocean will do. And, and okay. that's somewhat a little bit more believable. Okay. In that case, okay, I can, I can, I can give certain things a pass there. Now, you know, I, there's I, microorganisms within the salt water ex- that exactly. probably should have made him sick. But again, I'm just. Um, plus, if he was smart, he may have boiled water. I don't know. Has anybody ever thrown a ball before? Thrown a ball? Yeah, thrown a ball. Yes. Okay, when you throw a ball, are your fingers all together in one like motion like this? Because nobody can throw a ball like this unless you're Shaq. <laughs> okay, you know, you 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 expand your you you spend your you spread your out, spread out your fingers. You know, you look at Wilson, it's the fingers are all like straight up. And I'm like, well, at no point in this does it say that Tom Hanks is a big sports guy. <laughs> no, but he whips that ball pretty good. Maybe he spiked it. Well, he was dehydrated. Maybe that's why he couldn't break uh, the coconut. I spiked open it. it. Maybe he spiked it. It was a volleyball. It was a volleyball. He spiked it. That's the hand. He picked it up and threw it. I know what he did. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, but also, in it, there are some leaps of faith you have to take in this movie. And one is that. Of all the guys that get stranded, you pick the one guy who's nautical, who can uh, put bring any, put put anything together, knows survival tactics on an island. Uh, it, it, I don't think no, he does not act like a survivor guy. I I honestly feel like you are watching trial and error. You are watching somebody that knows he needs to do this. He knows immediately how to make fire. No, he didn't. He's sitting there making it for hours and hours and hours and hours. The and how many way. times? Exactly. But the first couple of times he tried, he tried the spinning stick, and that didn't actually work. It wasn't until he made a mistake and he cracked it and he created a vent for air that he realized, oh, so he's that's the thing. They're they're sort of setting it up as he's problem solving as he's going. I, think I it, don't I, think they're setting him up as an expert. I everything that I mean. He's he's mapping out the 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 sun in his cave with with it's like no 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 stop yeah, I, there are certain things that I can go with and there's certain things where and maybe it's this I've watched it so many times that I can see these things oh I've watched a, it, I've watched it hundreds of times well, too okay I've watched it so many times that they bother me yeah um and you know if he was there for ten years okay I can understand four years there's a there's a struggle in the middle there that we don't see to get him from the uh, guy who just made fire for the first time, and that's a great scene, by the way. Him and dancing no- around the fire, and singing "Light my fire," <laughs> yeah. uh, to when he's all of a sudden a master spearman with the fisher fishing, uh, throwing them from a rock from about ten feet away. Uh, he really went 
But was he successful? Yeah, he spears the fish. I thought it was after that was later. No, that's, no, no. But that's his yeah. issue is that in four years he goes from like awkwardly throwing it to knowing not what he's due to now he's essentially an expert. Mailman to survivor man. And I think the thing that you may be missing is it is every day. Like, what yeah. do you fill 24 hours with? And mm-hmm. you probably become an expert at things when you have to practice them every minute of every day. You're probably so, right. And it's necessity. I don't know. I mean, I played football, mm-hmm. but in, high, in college ended up working for a baseball team. Just being out there, no one, like, taught me anything. But because I had to um, do fly balls and I had to do this and that, my throwing got much better, yeah. and it, your muscle memory just gets used to certain things because you knew if you throw one in the shitter, then everyone's going to see you and laugh, or you're going to get fired. So yeah. <laughs> it's like you do things because you have to do them. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's Tom Hanks. What can he do? Well, I mean, he also apparently knows exactly where they are in the ocean, so he can map it out on a wall, which I appreciate. That was just him. That was just him. Yeah. I think that was him just guessing. Yeah, that was. It okay. wasn't like he had latitude and longitude. But the way he was, but the way he was explaining it, he's like, "We were two hundred forty. It was like very precise the way he said. It. I was like, "Listen, I and know that, that you remember certain things from the flight, but do you? Re- after a gigantic moment like that, you really don't remember the conversation you had right before it. You kind of are. It, it's it's a forgotten thing." Well, the mind works very different for different people. And he they do do a scene like when they're talking, the three pilots are talking in that scene just before the crash, and Tom Hanks looks down and there is a map and what he draws on the cave wall is an exact repro- like recreation of what he saw on the map just before he crashed. Um so I don't think he was actually like doing math or well I mean he yeah, was Yeah, he is doing math. He, he does it all and he does it all in his head too. So he's a master mathematician too because he's doing massive math all in his head. He's going this 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 and it's like four digits by three digits and he's multiplying it all together in his head. He is the perfect candidate to be on an island. Cuz he can get it all. No, the perfect candidate would have been Bear Grylls. If no, it, <laughs> but that's the thing. He's turned into Bear Grylls on that island. After four years, yeah, he's lasted for four years because he's now a Bear Grylls, basically. You know, it's not but like, that, but it's that's not like what he, the he movie would, needs to be. There wasn't a grocery store for three years, and all of a sudden he figured it out in his fourth year. He came in knowing exactly what to do. No, we didn't. Otherwise, he would have known exactly how to open a coconut the first time. If he knew exactly what he had to do, he wouldn't have thrown the coconut against the wall twelve different times. Yeah, it to, wasn't you until have to he opened a coconut by cracking it open. No, it wasn't until he broke the stone, got a sharp point, and then he started hitting it, and he realized, oh, the sharp point went through. And then he started trying, but then he realized he couldn't open, so he made a bunch of them, and then he realized he could peel it. It was all problem, trial and error. Well, it's all coincidence if you look at it from that perspective also. Oh, my God. So all trial and error is coincidence? No, but look at it. He discovers a tool by coincidence. He happens to be hammering it with a rock, and all of a sudden, it creates the perfect tool. Uh, he. It, so you're pissed off because there's a MacGuffin. That's not a MacGuffin. <laughs> A MacGyver? We're, we're is back that to that. <laughs> <laughs> so what, thing, what things did you see in this, this section? I saw trial and error. I okay. saw him figuring it out. Yeah. I did not see an expert. I saw somebody that became an expert because, as Joel said, you have to figure it out or you die. Yeah. I mean, if he, <laughs> if he doesn't do any of these things, then he dies. That's the simple solution. So for him to be the perfect candidate and this guy that was the perfect person to be left on the island... Well, yeah, he had to be the perfect person to be left on the island if he's to get off the island. So his primary... What's the movie, then, if you have somebody get on the island that you know is never going to survive? So his primary motivation really is to stay alive. 
Yes, and that's made crystal clear at the end. It's when not you fought- because his he says that the we'll get to the end. All right, four years yeah. four years later, Chuck is dramatically thinner, bearded with longer hair, and wearing a loincloth. He has become adept at spearing fish and making fires. He also has regular conversations and arguments with Wilson, which has become his only means of socialization. A large section from a portable toilet washes up on the island from Bakersfield, uh, California. Chuck uses it as a sail in the construction of a raft. After spending some time building and stocking the raft and deciding whether when the weather conditions will be optimal, using an analemma? Is that what it is? Analemma? I don't know what it is. I don't know. He had created in his cave to monitor the time of the year. Uh, he launches using the sail uh, to overcome the powerful surf. After some time on the ocean, a storm nearly tears his raft apart. The following day, as Chuck sleeps, Wilson becomes untethered and floats away from the raft. Chuck is wakened by the spray of a sounding whale, sees Wilson, and swims after him. But Wilson has gone too far to safety, too too far to safely retrieve. Chuck returns to the raft and collapses in tears. Later, a passing cargo ship finds him drifting. This is heartbreaking. There is a whole lot in this summary. And the first thing we got to go to is when he's trying to find rope to build the raft. When he's trying to find rope, he does all the math. And so you have your your math stuff. And he figures out he is about 20 feet short. But he knows where there's 30 feet. And you think to yourself, what do you mean? What? And, like, you're starting to wonder, is he going crazy? Is he actually going crazy talking to this ball? And you realize, then they cut to the scene, and he's cry- and he pulls it up, and you realize it was a hangman's rope. Which? And he had tried to hang himself, but he tested it and all this stuff. And then that whole conversation, it, it humanizes that a whole lot more. But then, in a scene we'll talk about later, you realize that scene ended up being what made everything clear for him later. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he even uses the phrase, it came over him like a warm blanket. It was, it was hard. When you see, at the end, when he starts to pull that rope up finally. Yeah. And you see what it was. What it is. It's just like, it's, Look, it's a punch in the gut, literally. I, and I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, pirates were there at one point. Because I, oh, that's true. <laughs> As I'm, kid, I'm yeah. thinking of Pirates of the Caribbean, like, you yeah. know, when they used to hang. So I'm looking at that. But also, you, it's when he... When he loses Wilson, that's and still to this day, I cry. Like I watched it yesterday. It's hard to watch, and I cry every time. I know, and I, I saw later that people will talk about this being a punchline, and that, and that actually really pisses me off. It, it does because, in my opinion, when Tom Hanks did that scene, that is some of the best acting in terms of emotion that I've ever seen from an actor. And you see the struggle. You see if he lets go of that rope, he may be able to go get Wilson. But if he goes and gets Wilson, he will never get back to the raft. He doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have the physicality for it. And then you see that heartbreaking decision. You hear the crying. And then you like when he starts crying, he's sad. Then they cut to the scene right after. And he is laying on his back, catatonic, and his chest is heaving. And you hear real crying. You hear him like that's not act like I, uh, you almost want to know what what was Tom Hanks thinking of because those were mm-hmm. real tears that was real emotion like he had to have thought of whatever was the saddest most depressing thing in his life ever yeah. because those are the most guttural tears ever and people mock it because they're like it's for a volleyball he turned that into the one thing that kept him sane like mm-hmm. that's the whole point of Wilson was it kept him sane if he. If he wouldn't have had those mock conversations, 
He would have gone more crazy almost. Yeah. And that is easily the most powerful. And still to this day, I cannot watch that scene and not cry myself. I do. I fully admit, no. I cry like a little girl when yeah. I watch. I'm even tearing up now because it just punches me in the gut every fucking time I watch that scene. Yeah, it's a very well done scene. Joel? What was there? Was there a question? <laughs> <laughs> just if you had any comments just, about Just any this. comments about these yeah. scenes. Oh, I talk about it later. Oh, okay. okay. Never mind. I, I know that. I, and the other thing is, you know, you realize when the when the cargo ship drives by, he's laying back on his back again. How de- how dehydrated the guy is, how starved he is, because he only brought so much food out there. Yeah. Um. Now the other thing is the whales. Okay. Did the whales were they were we to, were we to believe that they were following him every time he woke up? Because you heard that's what woke him up every time was the splash of water, and it happened like two or three times. You know, until you said that, I didn't make that connection. It is almost like we're the we're the whales. Safeguarding him? Yeah, protecting him, leading him along. I don't know. I mean, when you connect all these dots, you're like, this is like, but maybe that's survival. Like, in order to get out of a situation like that, there needs to be something that is, and they never allude to a god or anything like that, and I'm not doing this, but there needs to be a reason. Like, why are the whales suddenly following him? Why did he suddenly decide to test the rope? Why didn't he ever get an infection? Like, how did all of these little things that are so improbable and so unlikely to happen happen? Because they needed to. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gotten off the island. Yeah. And like, so, yeah, it, I guess the whales needed to, to protect him because he wouldn't have Like, I've up. heard stories of that happening before, so I can kind of believe that they would, that, you know, that you hear like dolphins have followed people who are stranded to shore and stuff like that and, yeah. and whatnot. So I was just wondering if that was what they were trying to get at. Was Because every time he wakes up, he's woken up by a splash of water on his face. And it's like, yeah, whale won't go away. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, and when you do stuff like that, when we watch it, we kind of look over because I didn't even acknowledge the whales. But when you think about it from a movie direction standpoint, it costs money to do things like that. Yeah, yeah. those it whales cost- were CGI'd. So and every night scene was CGI. Yeah. Well, but like the whales specifically, you're not going to spend thousands of dollars on something you don't need in the movie. So it makes you think, what's the purpose of having those in there? Is there a symbolic purpose behind it? Or are they trying to tell us where exactly he was He was in the world? Oh, that's true. Was would those the, whales only have been around shipping lanes? Or, but I guess you would think the whales would avoid... I don't know. Somebody who's a nautical person listening yeah. to our podcast. Tom us. Hanks, if you're out there... If, if I'm sorry, if Chuck Nolan is out there... If you could help us out, we'd yeah, appreciate like, that. Yeah, like tell us, like why are why are whales always around shipping lanes? Is that a thing or not a thing? Now, know. now this being said, there is an illusion at the very beginning when you look at Chuck's office and all the things that he has been trained in. He has the diplomas from the nautical stuff. He has the pictures of him doing deep sea diving and all that stuff and all that stuff. So they've built this character, and now you know the skill set that he has. So you know, I think. They, I think an analemma reading this is the sun tracer. Yeah. I think that's what it is because it says it's to monitor the time of the year. Uh, he would know if he, he, he was. He would know he's in the Pacific. He would know trade winds. He would know those uh, in that area because I'm going to guess he lives on the West Coast. Yeah. You know, so. But he also, because of his time zones, he probably knows how climate works and all that stuff. So my guess is he just felt what the weather was like mm-hmm. and 
the rainy season would be around the winter. Yeah. I mean, when the hurricanes and the storms are kicking up, that would be the winter. And so that's why I'm guessing why he comes up with the months that he does. Yeah, he probably understands also that the winds change directions at certain times of the year. I know if I was on an island, I wouldn't fucking know that. Oh, I wouldn't no, pay I attention would... to the wind at all. I'd be like, no, where's the food? Yeah, I, w- <laughs> I wouldn't know any of that stuff either. Uh, okay, so what's next, buddy? Upon rep- returning to civilization, Chuck learns that he has long been gi- been given up for dead. His family and acquaintances held a funeral. Kelly, since married, Chuck's one-time dentist, or Kelly, since married, Chuck's one-time, it's actually his, the- Dr. Spaulding. No, it wasn't Dr. Spaulding. It was a a friend of Dr. Spaulding's, because the guy came in and said, remember when your dentist, Dr. Spaulding, recommended you to me for a root canal? Gotcha. Um, So it was him, uh, and, uh, and Kelly has a daughter. Um. They attempt to reconnect, but Kelly can't see him, and so her husband comes in to awkwardly talk to him. They leave, and Chuck sees them from the window, and you see these emotions on Chuck. And Chuck, you see he's pissed. He is angry. Yeah. Like, how could these people... Forget about me. Forget about me and and do all these things. And so he's angry, and finally Chuck decides to go and visit her. And he reunites with Kelly... And then he listens to her. He he sees her. He sees all of the collection of stuff that she kept for his search and everything. The maps she, that she had searching she, the area. She sees the life that, she, and he sees that moving on wasn't easy. So he goes to her, her house pissed off. And as he looks around and as he listens to her, he realizes, damn, this was just as hard on you as it was for me. Like I was alone. But you were too, yeah. and you had to bury him. And it's I, I love that scene because Tom Hanks barely says a word, and you see every emotion. You see in his eyes when he is pissed. You see when he is like angry, but then you see him like come to an understanding and come to the realization that they have their moment in the rain, and it's romantic, and they kiss, and she is willing to go with him. She got in the car. She is clearly willing to give up her husband, give up her daughter. And he looks at her and he says, you've got to go home. Like that also felt like a punch in the gut. Oh, I thought I thought when he said that, it was more of an affirmation of it. Because she says, I want to. And he goes, but you've got to go home. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I mean, he's not happy he's about not, it. He's not, but, he's, not, he's, he's not telling her to. He's just going, I have to accept this. Oh, uh, maybe yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it is more like that. Well, that's also part of leadership. I mean, that's him saying no, but you have to. Yeah. And I think you're both right in this sense. It is something that he. It's a conscious choice that he had to make, and that he knew that he had to make, even though he didn't want to. Yeah. And then you have the scene that is probably one of the most powerful. I can't decide if it's my favorite because the whole scene with Wilson uh, floating off is, is really close there. But you just get him talking. And for the first time... To his buddy whose wife had cancer and To his buddy away. whose wife had cancer and passed away. And he is talking about everything he thought on the island. You've literally watched the entire island sequence. And yes, he says a couple things, but you don't know what he's thinking. And then you sit down and you finally get, this is why I was happening. I tried to kill myself because I wanted to, con- to control things. And when the rope snapped, or when the, the tree limb snapped and all this stuff, I realized I didn't have control over anything. I couldn't even control my death. And that idea, in his words, came over into a warm, like a warm blanket, and he realized all he needed to do was survive. He doesn't say because of a higher purpose or anything like that, but you get the sense that 
the reason why all this stuff was happening, him not getting infected, this, the tree branch snapping and all this stuff was he just needed to survive. And if he just kept trying and, and breathing every day, and I love that phrase, sometimes you just got to keep breathing. And I've used that. Just keep swimming. Uh, well, I haven't. Yeah, it's, it's like it's doors. Just, made it's a door. <laughs> and, and, and I've actually said to, to people, just breathe. Like, you just got to keep breathing. And I very much attribute that to Castaway. And uh, so he talks and he realizes he has to go on with his life. So after buying a new volleyball, Chuck travels to Canadian Texas to return the unopened FedEx pack- package with the angel wings to its sender, a woman named Patina Peterson. However, her sign has changed. At the beginning of the movie, it said Dave and Bettina Peterson. In the last scene, Dave is broken off of the sign, and now it just says Bettina Peterson. I never even noticed that. Yep. The house at the address is empty, so he leaves the package at the door with a note saying, This package saved my life. Thanks, Chuck Noland. He departs and stops at a remote crossroads. A friendly woman passes by in a pickup truck and stops to explain where each of the crossroads leads. As she drives away, Chuck notices the same angel wings on the back of her truck is identical to the one that was on the parcel. Chuck is left standing at the crossroads and he looks down each road, then smiles faintly as he looks in the direction of the woman's truck. And that's the end of the movie. Um, And it starts in the exact same place it ended. Crossroads. Um, so what did you think after watching this movie, Joel? Uh, I always enjoy everything with Tom Hanks. This is one that I watched last night and I want to watch again. Um, kind of when I'm just like alone and have time to kind of sit and think about it because it was a different movie yesterday than it was when I was little. Mm -hmm. There were definitely more, um, deeper dynamics that I didn't notice when I was younger and watching it last night, I'm kind of kicking myself for not making the time and my schedule to really sit and then. Um, kind of focus on the human nature of it all and how our minds work and where our priorities are. And so um, this is one I'm going to definitely have to watch again with a little more like mindfulness. Joe, what'd you you think after watching? I I, I really like this movie. I really do. I think it's an enjoyable watch. Uh, This is a movie, even though I, I said earlier, I can't remember some of the things that happened at the beginning. Yeah. And later on, I talk about the final third, which bothers me a little bit. I still love watching the movie from beginning to the end. Mm-hmm. I really do. Robert, Robert Zemeckis is a very <laughs> solid filmmaker. He really is. You and can, I he, can't think of a bad Zemeckis movie. He, even though some of his movies, uh, in my eyes, have a little nitpick here and there, he still knows how to tie it all together. And the guy is just so fucking solid. <laughs> yeah. Do I have some reservations about crypt? Yeah, but I'll get into that later. This is an enjoyable watch and I I swear everybody should see this movie. <laughs> yeah. I and this is even back when I was 13 year old or 13 years old, 14 years old watching it, I am emotionally drained at the end of this movie. That is literally like how I feel at the end of this movie is exhausted. Because I've cried, I've felt angry, I've felt terrified, and I've literally physically felt them because even last night I went to bed right after watching this movie because I was exhausted. Yeah. It's not a movie you watch for a good time. It's not a movie you watch uh, with people around that you don't care about. This is a movie you watch with someone that you've been in a relationship for a long time because you're going to show emotions. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I mean, actually, as I say that, everybody's personality is different. So maybe you don't mind showing your emotions on the first date or whatever. But I just know that. As I'm sitting here, I've actually never watched this movie with the wife. That's unbelievable. I, and I haven't, and I and I know why. I have never, and maybe this is my own relationship issues, and people will psychoanalyze or whatever. 
Um, Get ready, Joel. And, and I and I don't yeah. and, and <laughs> it's my choice. I'm I'm fully admitting it's my choice. I do not want my wife to see me cry more than she needs to. Okay. I I know that like wife should be able to see husbands cry and all this stuff. I'm just saying it's my choice. Yeah. I do not want my wife to see me cry, and because I know I cry at this movie. She's never asked to watch it, and I've never brought it up, but this is a movie I watch only by myself, hmm. and I usually watch it at points in my life where, A, I just need, re- well, actually, I don't really need to listen to the song, because I listen to it all the time on my iPod say. now, <laughs> um, but like before iPods and that, I would literally just put the movie in. I remember as a kid, I'd come home and be working on homework, and I would just put the movie in just to listen to the song. Yeah. Like, that's it, um, but I only watch this like when I need something, mm-hmm. like- it, and maybe it's a phrase like every once in a while people need a good cry. Like they, they need, it's almost like a therapy. Right. And I also, I genuinely wonder, do I watch this movie because I do love it so much? Do I watch it when I need that? Cause I know I'm going to feel those emotions. It doesn't matter that I've seen it 30 or 40 times. Mm-hmm. I know I'm going to feel that every time. All right. Well, after that emotional thing, let's play a game called did the award show get it right? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> 73rd Academy Awards. These are the nominees for Best Actor. Russell Crowe, Gladiator. Tom Hanks, Castaway. Javier Bardem, Before Night Falls. What? Why are you English now? <laughs> no, Javier ne- Bardem. I've never heard. Stewie. I've, I've never heard of Before Night Falls. Okay. Ed Harris, Pollock. And Jeffrey Rush, Quills. We're, we're going to say goodbye to Joel. Joel's got to run off to go to some basketball. So, Joel, oh. it's been great having you on the show. Do you want to give fun. your movie grade right now? Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I'll put it in. You all read it. Okay. All right. You've got it up, so you have to read his. Because actually, no, yeah, I'll go ahead. Okay. This one's tough. Um, but going off what I said at the very beginning, I do love this movie. Uh, but I don't own it. And so you, that I think... But I do want to watch it again. This is a Bennett. I think this is a very. I'm, I think it's a very high B plus. Okay. okay. A minus right. B plus. That's still a nice place to be. It is. It is. I don't own it. I'm not like going to immediately go out and buy it. But yeah. This is a movie I enjoy watching every time, mm-hmm. and um, it is a very, it's a very, very good movie. And it is a movie that everybody needs to see at some point. Well, what if? Hold on. If if you have five minutes, let's maybe get through this five minutes real quick. Let's let's skip the Academy Awards because the bottom line or like spoiler alert. Do you have five or do you have to go? No, I'm actually five minutes late. Okay, oh, okay, never mind. All right, then you gotta go. All right, go me and Jurassic Jurassic Park will do it. <laughs> exactly. Hey, it's like the old days. Exactly. It's back. It's back to normal. Joel, have a good time Ooh, coaching. How harsh. thank you, Joel? Have a good time coaching. I know. All right, so the winner for Best Actor went to Russell Crowe, which how Tom Hanks didn't win this, I think that's idiotic. I, and, and I will say this. Cause, and Russell Crowe was good. Russell Crowe is essentially playing a very similar character as Tom Hanks, a guy who's had everything stripped away from him. Uh, that's true. And has had to fight back to get back to his family, who is also gone. From in Tom Hanks and his family's Tom gone. Tom Hanks has already won what two, three? Has he won three yet, or is it just two by this point? Uh, yeah, I think he went, it was Forrest Gump, right? Forrest Gump in, in Philadelphia. Did he went? Yeah, he, I thought there was another one. I th- well, that's I thought, what I'm saying. He had okay. had he not won his third yet? Yeah, maybe not. Okay. Whereas Russell Crowe hadn't won any. Now I know this. Jeffrey Rush and Quills is fantastic. 
I've heard good things about that. It's, Plus, Jeffrey Rush is just a great actor. Yeah, he is. He's great in everything. Uh, Javier Bardem, I've never seen before Night Falls, and be- because this was 2000, the fact that I haven't seen it yet, I can understand why he probably didn't win. Yeah. Maybe he was a really good actor that year, but you got Russell. I think it comes down to Crow, Hanks, and Rush. Um, and I, maybe there was just too many powerhouses that year. Well, I think that's why in the Golden Globes they gave Hanks the win for Castaway, because they gave him the bone there. Yeah. Let's give Crow... Because Gladiator went nuts at the awards that year. It did. It won a lot. It, yeah. Peace out, Mr. Patagonia. Bye, Steve. Bye, Steve. <laughs> so I think that... I think for the Academy Awards, I've... Listen, I love Hanks' performance, but I think... And I'm, I think I like his performance in Captain Phillips a little bit more. And I haven't seen that movie yet, so I have to see now, that Because you, me- you mentioned something earlier, which was that there's a, a scene where he says nothing, and you can see every emotion on his face. Yeah. The end of Captain Phillips has a very similar scene, and it'll give you goosebumps also. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. So check that out. But I think, in this case, the Academy Awards got Probably, it right, yeah. but the Golden Globes are popular awards. It's Castaway. It's Tom Hanks. He should have gotten it. Yeah, I think, I think the awards got it right. Yeah. All right, so what worked well for you in this movie, and what were your favorite parts? Okay. Uh, I'm going to read Joel's. Okay. Yeah. Joel said, The Loneliness. Uh, the unspoken scenes where he's battling with giving up or holding on to hope. When Wilson floats away is the hardest scene to watch, but still a favorite. The one that is sticking with me the most right now, which I don't think of before, is when he w- is welcomed back and he is standing at the table looking at the plate of crab legs that will probably be thrown away and holds up the lighter. We don't realize how good we have it in America. Clean water. Brushing teeth. Yeah. Now, I can't say it with the humor that Joel has. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, there would have been some There's some inflection there. there. Yeah. For me, the scene of the plane crashing in the water is so powerful. And the appearance of Hanks in the raft during the thunderstorm, it still gives me chills to see him on those waves. Because yeah. I know, as someone who's afraid of heights, that f***s me up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I think about, you know, how long is that storm going on? We only see four or five seconds of that wave. And then he's probably out there for another three or four hours dealing with this. And those waves are high. Like, oh. they made it so that it was coming up high, and some of those swells get to, like, 30, 40 feet. And I'll say this. They did a great job not doing a the perfect storm to this in showing the size. They did it with lightning flashes. You get to see glimpses, and that's it. Yeah. Otherwise, it would look too CGI, I think. Yeah, and yeah, we'll get to that later. Yeah. The evolution of Hanks from Mailman to Survivor Man. Uh, I like the fact that it's a four-year span, and you look at the body that he had to do, what he had to do as an actor to himself. Yeah. I couldn't imagine putting that kind of dedication into something. Uh, it's hard to look at how emaciated he is at the end, but you have to believe it because there's nothing to eat there. No. This is what he would look like. The number of injuries he receives seems so real. It's not like he just lands and, okay, I'm going to be good for four years. No. He's beat, beat up, up and, and battered and down. scars everywhere. Uh, the tooth, the thigh injury, the coral. I mean, it's the coral one's the one that hurts me the most, I yeah. think. When I see that coral go through his leg and he lifts up, I'm like, oh, fuck, that hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that gets you every time. But the, I, I think also the tooth, the way he knocks the tooth out with the ice skate. And then just, he is knocked out. Like, you that's a good shot. You see the blood out of his mouth and just, oh, God, it's painful to watch. How about you, JC? What, what are the things that you loved about this movie? So my favorite scenes are... Um, I love the the crash scene as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 scene that I instantly think of whenever I think of this movie is the crying scene. Not and not even so much the, 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 the Will Wilson. Not even so much that. I always picture him laying on that raft on his side and his chest just heaving yeah. and that sound like that is when I think Castaway. That is the first scene that pops into my head. Um, the fire scene. 
I love it when, when he, he starts singing and dancing fire. Like that's just I love that scene. It's but great. that's the joy you would have to after all oh those hours God, of yes. trying and error, trial and oh error. My you goodness. finally make a fire and it's that. I'm gonna about you. I'm jumping over the fire a few times just to feel the fire. I yeah, <laughs> I completely agree. Um, and then my last favorite scene is them in the rain. The scene with him and okay. Kelly in the rain mm-hmm. when they just have that moment and he backs up like it's just romantic. It's 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 good. Those are those are my three favorite scenes. L- little vignettes. Mm-hmm. I love the clicking, the light on, light off thing. Oh, Joel, yeah. Joel's right about the crab legs and, mm-hmm. and the waist and all that. I get that. The ice in his glass is a nice touch, constantly having ice because all of that water would have tasted warm. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. probably been drinking warm water for how long? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I just I thought the lights clicking on and on was a really cool touch. Yeah. What didn't work for you in this movie? Okay. Joel well, says, yeah, you uh, Joe, go f- <laughs> Joel says, Joe, go first because I don't want to steal yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's literally what it says in the script. <laughs> Um, I did not remember the ending with the crossroads. I completely forgot how it ended, but I never expected the movie to go on so long past the rescue. I agree. The first yeah. time I watched this, I didn't. I thought it would end. Um, again, this is why I need to watch it intently and ask myself why so much needed to be shown after the island. I hate that she married. That's my least favorite. Which that's, is it, so that's Joel. Which is interesting because you know I have I have a very similar take on that. However, you know Joel's a big Lord of the Rings fan. Yeah. That has a gigantic ending also. With an ending. With an ending. Then another ending. Another ending. <laughs> another ending. And then you think it's the ending. Yeah, there's another one after that. Which I know we've teased this before about how eventually we'll get to the Lord of the Rings. I really can't wait till we do those three. <laughs> oh, my God. It'll uh, take a month. Well, that'll be a summertime one, I think. That, it has to be a summertime yeah. one. Uh, for me, you know, I didn't like the ending of The Crossroads. Was it ballsy? Yes. I didn't like it. If I'm, yeah. I'll, I didn't like the choice of inserting love as the reason for staying alive for four years. And I say inserting because you made a good point in the speech that he gives about the ice and all that. That speech is bracketed by a moment where he talks about her and then he inserts her again at the very end of that whole speech. And you just spoke about how you had the motivation to stay alive, to, to battle the logic, the odds, and all that. And I felt like every time they put Kelly in, you were extending the ending. Uh, because I think the logical place, when you look at this movie, when you think of Castaway, you think, okay, it's a movie about being stranded on a desert island and getting the hell off. Yeah. Bracketing those that moment, that movie, you have a separate movie, which is Together and Loss. Yeah. And I earlier I said, I feel like I'm watching two movies here. Again, credit to Zemeckis for tying it all together in a neat bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's something that... I'm surprised none of his injuries became infected. I said that earlier. Yeah. Uh, but you have a good point. Salt water I mean, yeah. can do it. And if he, if he is as decorated uh, in his experiences as we've seen in the earlier part of that movie, when they go through his office, then there are certain things he would know how to do. Yeah. He would know how to do all that stuff. The fact that Wilson has become a punchline today... Takes away from how powerful that scene is supposed to be. To anybody that watches this movie now for the first time. Because it's that that's one of those moments that everybody knows. It's not a spoiler anymore. No. It's a, it's the same as Darth Vader being Luke's father. Everybody knows it now. And if the first time you've seen it, guess what? Unless you're four years old and get you to watch those YouTube videos, it's not as exciting. Yeah, it's been spoiled for you. It really pisses me off because as I watched it, I don't know. There's something about 
Hanks's voice, which has a comedic tone to it. Yeah. And, and listen, we we can't control our voices. Okay. Uh, people have heard me yell and scream on here, and it is rather. I have a comedic yell. I think uh, you do. Yeah, because I laugh every time you yell. At me. <laughs> <laughs> but when he yells Wilson, you can't. It's not funny. It's not supposed to be funny. But yet, Tom Hanks is normally known. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And so, I, and it's like the uh, the yell, the scream, Stella. You know, sometimes when actors yell something, it doesn't give it the gravitas that we expect. Remember we talked about Revenge of the Sith and Hayden Christensen yells, I hate you! And, and I think Joel said, it just doesn't work. I don't like the way it sounds. I'm like, well, that's how guttural it would sound for I was, him. I was going to say, you can't fault a guy for his voice. You're right. So I really wish Wilson hadn't become a punchline because it, it takes cheapens. away from that ending. I can 100% agree yeah. with you on How that. about you? Um, in my opinion, this movie hasn't aged as well as I liked. Which I'm surprised at. Go for it. And what I mean is... I don't think corporations would be as friendly to their employees now. And maybe oh. that's me being jaded. No. I don't feel like people would actively try to help someone. I've, and maybe I've just become bitter as an adult. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we're in our 30s. We've seen a lot. We're in our 30s. We've seen a lot. <laughs> we've, we know that people say one thing and do another. And it's... Yeah. Like you see... Like the scene where everybody is partying and he's not talking to anybody. And now about everybody is celebrating him, and it's like they don't get it. But that's the point Zemeckis is trying to make. Yeah, people don't get it, and people, that's why they order seafood buffet for a guy who's been eating seafood, seafood for, for four his years. Entire life, God, <laughs> idiots! And people keep wanting to know, like, like why'd you go through that, and what's going on? And I, I've been watching Arrow a lot, and people are like, "What? Are, what have you experienced?" And I'm like, people don't talk about it because they don't know, like. Tom Hanks' character, like Chuck Nolan, shouldn't have to say what he was thinking because he's back now and he doesn't know what to think. He doesn't know. And the fact that Zemeckis makes him sound confusing in some of his end speeches and, well, it was for love, but it was for this, and I needed it, and it got me off the island, but now I don't have it. It's like, well, what the f*** do you want? He doesn't know. Yeah, and you, uh, the other thing I'll latch on to that you said that yeah. I completely agree with is the first time I saw this, I was pissed at the ending. I literally remember because we watched it as a family. I re- literally remember getting up and looking at my mom like, "That's the ending." I, like, Nobody won. I like yelled at her. I'm like, <laughs> "What?" And my sister is yelling at me that it was a great ending. My father is telling me it doesn't matter. He saw the ending happening, and it, like family di- <laughs> family dynamics just start. But I just I remember being pissed. But as I watch it over yeah. and over and over, and I'm normally not like this. I love my endings wrapped up and tied with a pretty bow mm. because I want the full, complete package. I've, I've wholly admitted that on this podcast. And I don't know why, just like Tom Hanks doesn't know why or, or Chuck Nolan doesn't know why. This is okay. It works for me. It's okay. Because it leaves it open to, we didn't... Uh, well, it's like you said, we knew he was going to get up the island because they did it in the trailer, but... We don't know where he's going. Yeah. And maybe that's what it's supposed to be. He doesn't know and we don't know either. And I think that's the I think that's why you like the ending is because there is that optimism. You like happy endings. I do like happy endings. The a, happy the ending at the end is all about he has lost her everything and everything and he it says in his final speech, I know what I have to do now. I got to keep breathing. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? Which is and a great line. I, 
Yeah, it's I a, just got goosebumps. It's a great line. <laughs> it's such a good line. But going from where he was at the beginning, which is he, everything has to be micromanaged, you know. So like, now he's j- like, just just like me with my little micromanage figures you're gonna put up here. Yeah, we're gonna put. <laughs> micromanagers. Uh, but you're right. It, I think that's why you like that ending so much because yeah. it has that optimistic ending, and he's looking into the distance, going, "I think I know what I want to do next," and which is, I don't know what I'm gonna do next. The only other big thing in this movie that I really don't like, the CGI has not aged well. Now, like, which CGI specifically? The, the the ocean. Oh, really? Yeah, it bothered me. Okay. Like, I used to think it was great, and maybe I've just seen so much other CGI water yeah. and things like that, but the plane looked bad to me. I mean, I still felt everything, Yeah. but like when I was watching it with like my movie playground sunglasses and like being nitpicky, I'm like, yeah, that, that CGI looks bad. The whales look bad. But yeah. then I have to remind myself it was 2000. And it's, it's really hard to watch these movies. When you do a podcast, it's hard to watch it without the glasses on now. Yeah, it really is. And my biggest complaint is just the technology has not aged well. When he climbs up to the top, like they even CGI oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. he looks fake. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that's what I mean by the movie hasn't aged well. It looks like a bad CGI movie okay. now. I almost, I almost wonder if they could retouch it or redo it. Yeah. But it'd be hard to do the night scenes because all the night scenes were done during the day. Yeah, and, and they had to CGI the dark in. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. I though I don't know why, but I didn't even notice the CGI of the waves. I didn't even notice it. Yeah, I did. I looked right past it, and a it's a lot like when you when we saw Yoda for the first time throw his lightsaber out. You forget that's a CGI character. Yeah, you know because it's just you're invested. And for me, watching those waves, I don't, I've always been drawn to the ocean. Uh, it's why I moved to Florida for seven years. I wanted to live by the ocean. And there's something about it that intrigues me. And maybe it's why I look past it. That's probably a that, little bit yeah. of why I look past it. Um, but you said something earlier about Arrow. Yeah. Which I think the, the very first episode of Arrow, the TV series, it was inspired by Castaway. Because something that Tom Hanks does at the, at the end of this movie is something that Arrow does, at, uh, uh, Oliver Queen does at the beginning of that series, which is when he returns home, he's not sleeping in his bed, he's sleeping on the floor. Because that's what he's used to. Exactly. And he's got the windows open during a rainstorm. So he can what he's feel the rain. To. He wants to feel the rain on his face. And yeah. I totally believe that's exactly how you would be. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, in uh, Captain America, uh, I think it, Winter Soldier, when we're first in, introduced to uh, his buddy, Falcon, uh-huh. when they're running around, he says, hey, you're not sleeping much. No, it's hard to sleep on those soft mattresses. Yeah. You know, it's something you get used to. So I totally buy that. Yeah, I do and too. I'll be honest with you. Since having this discussion today, I have changed my grade on this movie. Oh, well, I that's have. good. Uh, Who's the audience for this movie? Joel well, says Tom Hanks fans. People <laughs> who just want to watch a good movie that makes them think and feel a little bit. I feel like he would have maybe changed that after the way he was <laughs> talking, because that feels very blunt. But, or maybe Joel would have also read it in a different tone. Ever, apps. All right, Joe, what, what's, who's your audience? I, I, I hate to steal from you here, but yeah, adults who are looking for a drama that is a good watch for a Saturday night on the couch with your loved one. Yeah, I just can't do it with my loved ones. I know. I was going to say, now, now that I've heard your story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the audience is people who want to feel something. Like, okay. you, you don't watch this to laugh. You don't watch this. I mean, it's got humorous parts. Don't don't, don't watch this with an agenda. You okay. have to be open-minded. Yeah. You have to be... I, I It's not a thinking movie, but you have to almost have to be in that mind zone. You, have to, you know what? Go blank watching this movie. Yes. Just... Be like, I want to watch a good Tom Hanks movie. Here we go. And just forget all the nitpicks. Forget all the science and watch all that stuff. Just enjoy a good movie. Yeah. And just watch it. All right. Uh, Movie report card. Well, Joel gave it a B plus, right? Joel gave it a B plus. He's going to be the low man today. 
There it is, B plus. Yeah, he's gonna be the low man today. Ooh. I originally had a B plus. Oh. But I'm glad that we had the debate earlier because I had to reflect on some of those things and realize that, yeah, I see how there's a point where you have to go. It's the script, it's the movie, you have to go with it and turn your mind off sometimes. And that's something that I, I, I've had a lot of problem doing these days is turning my mind off watching a movie. Uh, you got yeah, to build your micromanagers, man. Get you, the Legos up. It's something, you know, you used to joke about how I've got this ability, this mutant ability. At you the do have, at least you Forget nostalgia. <laughs> and I think with this movie, I went in with the wrong mentality, which is... I want to see this great movie and how powerful it is. And then I started laughing because Tom Hanks is funny in it. (laughs) There are funny parts. And my mind went, it's a comedy, Joe. And wait, no, it's not comedy. Wait, what's the direction of the movie? I don't know. Now I'm overthinking everything. That is the thing. Like, I do wonder, is this a drama? Is it like this? Is it a survival? Like, this is a movie that fits a bunch of different genres. I I agree. We have to put it in drama for our categories. Which kind of sucks. Because this is a movie that does too many other things. Yeah. My original assessment of this. I'm going to read the original assessment after I've said all that. It said B plus, which I'm giving an A minus now. Yeah. If not almost an A, it's so close. I can't give it, yeah, I give it also an A-, and yeah. the only reason I can't, because I absolutely love this movie, score, acting, the whole bit, it's the CGI, and there's just, okay. because there's so much of it, yeah. and because it bugs me, that's what knocks it down. Now, maybe that's unfair, mm. but it's still a movie you have to watch, and at least for me, that bothers me, and so if they could somehow eliminate, and, but the sad thing is, is in 2000, it was amazing. Yeah. In 2017, like when my son watches that, I fully see my son being like, dad, those whales look, look fake. I'm like, yeah, I know. So here's what I wrote originally. and was, this movie does a great job of pacing the story and creatively makes the first two thirds of this movie as realistic as possible. The final third of this movie isn't as strong and is hamstrung by not knowing if it's a man versus nature story or a man versus himself story. His growth through the movie is to transform himself into someone who can survive and thrive and finally get over that first wave in the ocean. Ultimately, allowing his perseverance to pay off by getting rescued. However, it is constantly trying to remind you that love is pushing him rather than straight survival. Granted, none of us can truly understand what being on an island for four years as isolated is like. I can't speculate on that. But I know that after a couple of years, I probably would have reconciled with the idea that my girlfriend shouldn't be my driving motivation for staying alive because she probably thinks I'm dead anyway. If not, she's dumb. Yeah. Uh, It needs his speech at the end about how love for her is what kept him alive on the island to remind us why the movie is still going on beyond the rescue. When he was on the island, his life was shit. When he was rescued, his life is still shit. However, in this movie, Zemeckis still ties that third, that last third together in a neat little bow. And we end the movie in the same place we started. He bookends it perfectly. I think it's a really good movie. And I put it's not A-worthy, but I'm crossing that. It is A-worthy. It's just an A-. minus. Yep, I agree. In the drama category. It, it should be an A, but because there's just too many little things, it knocks it down to an A-. minus. I wholly agree with and you. And I'll yes. be honest with you, I almost want to take out a lot of that talk about his final speech because most of that speech is about the perseverance, and it's not so much about the love. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's my, an A-. minus. I think that you had a great pick, man. Yeah, it, <laughs> this is a movie I I truly couldn't wait to watch. Yeah, I enjoyed it. 
So if this movie was released on Blu-ray, would you one buy it, two bin it, three stream it, four borrow it, or four forget about or five forget about it? Joel said bin it, so he gave it a number two. I I put a bin it also because I did it. It was a movie that I always walked past the Best Buy to get a different movie, and then when I was at Target, I saw it for five nine. I was like, you can't pass that up. Yeah, five nine, give me. Uh, but that being said, I'm also a poor teacher, so who knows if I had the money at the time, if I wouldn't have bought it. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's somewhere in between the buy it and bin it. <laughs> yeah, and, and I had buy it, but I need to change because I need to do what I honestly did. If this movie was released on Blu-ray, I don't own the Blu-ray. Oh, really? I still only own the DVD I was given however many years ago. Like, do you want to borrow the Blu-ray so you can have the commentary? Well, see, that's the thing. I put bin it because, like, because I already own the movie, I am not going to to actively go buy it. Now, part of me wants to put down buy it because I think if you've never seen this movie, yeah. you need to go find it. You mm-hmm. need to go buy it. Yeah. And maybe don't necessarily get it with a bunch of friends because I do feel like you. Sh- this is a movie where you should feel emotions and you should be comfortable doing that. So if that's not with a bunch of friends, yeah. then go buy it and watch it by yourself. Mm-hmm. But this is a movie you need to go buy. But... Because the place you will most likely find it nowadays <laughs> is in the bargain bins. So just go look through bargain bins. You will find the movie. Go buy it and go bin it. And let's be honest, the bargain bin doesn't mean it's a lesser movie. It, it just, just it just means that there's been so many other movies that are on the shelves yeah. that they have to put these other movies that are 17 years old someplace because Steve people still buy them. Exactly. So clearly it's good enough that it was turned into Blu-ray. There's plenty of movies I bought from 2000 that ain't Blu-ray. But I but I go back to what I asked, which is that you want to borrow it for the commentary. I, I may think, have to. Because yeah. I think Zemeckis does the commentary. Yeah, I may have to. Okay. Well, that's all I got time for today, Movie Planeteers. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to pass the word on to your friends about the show. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Overcast, Podbean, or Spotify, and help the show get on its feet with a four- or five-star review. Tweet with any questions, comments, theories, and I'll try to fit them into the show next time we're on the air. Send those tweets to at movieplanetpod and like us on Facebook and Instagram using the links in the show notes. Special thanks to Twisterium and Sound J Music for providing our intro music and our ending music. Thanks for listening, and happy movie watching. <laughs>